0: Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live. Bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey everyone, welcome to our good news segment. I told you that there are some things that you just can't get enough of. You know, in my day, I think about the world that I grew up in, how my dad was a super mechanic, how we built motorcycles in our living room. And I thought, well, what is it out there now that people are doing that they have such incredible fun? What's new? What's different? Well, I'll tell you, that's what we're going to talk about here, because Nick Wild Willie Willard is joining us here today. You know, look it when you are an aerospace engineer, when that is you. What is it about your life that would point you in the direction so you get to come on here and talk with all of us as a Drone Racing League pilot? Two-time, third-place winner, rocking it, rocking it, rocking it. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a blast to be here.
0: It is a blast. You know, I can imagine being a kid now, and, you know, I I gave you a point in time where we grew up. three, Three daughters, right? Imagine. That didn't stop my dad. Uh, We never had our fingernails clean uh, because of change in spark plugs and all of the above. What is it about Drone Racing and Drone Racing League that gets you super excited?
2: Oh, I mean, everything about it is just phenomenal. I mean, every time that I put the goggles on and fly, I mean, it's like the first time again. I mean, it's just the most exhilarating feeling. You know, you actually feel like you are in the cockpit of the drone like, you know, you turn into a bird and you can just fly and do and go wherever you want. I mean, it's, it's awesome. There's nothing else like it.
0: Let me ask you, how did you end your life, your world? And I just gave you a little bit of an introduction for for our folks. What was it about this the first time you were introduced to it where you said, oh, I, I, I got to, I, I got to be doing that?
2: The very first time that I was introduced to it. Um, I was already into, like, flying RC planes at that point. Mm-hmm. I was doing that for about a year, you know, I was kind of getting into the the whole radio-controlled stuff. And then I saw a video on YouTube of people racing these, like, little drones with cameras on them through the woods, and I was like, oh, that's, how do you even see it? And I realized they had, like, you know, video feed coming from the drone to goggles, like, they're in the cockpit. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen, you know, the, the engineer in me immediately went online and I got parts and I built my own racing drone in my dorm room, my freshman year of college. And I've just been flying nonstop ever since then.
0: Well, I want to tell everybody, listen, uh, I want y'all to go to the drone racing league.com, the drone racing league.com. You know, many of our listeners may or may not know about drones i think almost everybody has heard the term but we haven't heard about how to take a sport and i'm going to call it a sport bring it to the forefront and have something happen in a way that is so amazing so cool so safe tell me about this this relationship you have tell us about the racing league and also About your relationship and how this has enhanced your family relations.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Drone Racing League is the only professional drone racing circuit in the world. And, you know, we have 18 pilots in the series and we travel the world to iconic venues and, you know, fly these souped up racing drones through these amazing iconic venues like a couple weeks ago we raced through the bmw Welt. these crazy three-dimensional courses with giant neon gates that we fly through we flew through adventure dome in las vegas which is you know one of the world's largest indoor amusement parks you know it's just an, such an exhilarating thing that we all get to go do and uh, we do it as a profession now it's mm-hmm. you know just the most incredible life that I never thought that I'd have. And, you know, like, especially my mom is, like, my biggest (laughs) fan now. I mean, she loves everything about it. She has custom T-shirts that she made with Wild Willie and hashtag drone moms on the back. (laughs) She is just the biggest fan. I mean, she has every single episode recorded on tape. It's just, you know, she lives and breathes the stuff almost more than I do.
3: Well, I
0: could tell you why uh, for a lot of reasons. First of all, it is super exciting. Second of all, you're not actually in the cockpit. So moms across the world are like, oh, yeah, this is something I could get behind. But the other thing, too, is this is a sport that is picking up enormous st- uh, speed. Tell us a little bit how this is being covered now on television.
2: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, DRL has been around for about three years now. Mm-hmm. We are about to end our third season, and it's actually going to air September 6th at 10 p.m. on ESPN. Yeah. And for people who are Cox customers, you can actually just say drone racing into your contour remote, and it'll actually pull it up for you. Um, but, it, you know, it's been covered for two years now on ESPN, and it's just got millions of viewers now and tons of fans, and it's really growing. I mean, on TV, it's all over the Internet, you know, even the local grassroots organizations mm-hmm. are just growing so fast that they can't even keep up with the demand now.
3: Yeah.
0: One of the things I want to ask you about, and I, and I, I don't take this lightly, this is a sport. This requires skill. I want to be very clear about that. And, you know, people might be saying, oh, y- yeah, no, this is a professional sport. You are professional in this sport, uh, hence three willy. But let's talk about what it means to be a professional drone pilot. This is not something you fool around with.
2: No, I mean, it's we take it just as seriously as professional athletes and football and basketball and soccer take it. I mean, they train five times a week. We go out, we train five times a week. You know, we really go out with other fast pilots and we really push ourselves and train really hard all the time. I mean, it's really something that it's just growing so fast and everyone is pushing so hard that you really have to train as hard as you can all the time to keep up.
0: You know what I love about this too is besides your mom, you also have a a fan apparently of Cox Communications uh, has become a sponsor, right? Uh, Tell us about that because that has got to be super important for anybody in any sport, but especially for you in this sport.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm ecstatic to have Cox as my sponsor this year. I mean, it's really just a a no-brainer partnership. I mean, they are all about fast Internet, about fast drones. You know, they've got gigabit Internet speeds pretty much everywhere that has Cox. You know, their panoramic Wi-Fi is awesome like connectivity all throughout your house we really value having hundred percent reliable connectivity to our drones while we're racing mm-hmm. it's really just you know a no-brainer having someone like Cox behind a pilot like me
0: I got a question for you because this is the question that excites me and it's not on the list of, that these folks sent me I, I'm curious from your perspective what the vision is for the sport because I can see it now. I mean, anybody uh, listening, go to the website, the thedroneracingleague.com. Okay, what this website represents is a generation of upcoming new athletes, people that are professional in this. But I'm curious from your perspective and maybe some of your, you know, your, your uh, partner pilot's perspective, what is the vision for this? What do you want to see happen and how fast do you want to see it happen while wow, Willie?
2: Oh, I mean, I think we all share the same vision of seeing it, you know, being a mainstream sport that anyone can do. I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing is that it's not like, you know, other sports where you have to be young and fit to be Mm -hmm. able to do it. Anyone can go out and get a racing drone and get really good at it. And so it's going to be, you know, awesome to see it really grow and become mainstream here in the future.
0: Okay, I got to ask you. So... Do you have your eye on the prize? Do you have your eye on that first prize? Where what what is it going to take for Wild Willie to be even wilder Willie? <laughs> well,
2: first <laughs> I've got to win it all this season, and yeah. that is the plan. You know, yeah, I really uh, I figured out throughout the season that you know you really got to push yourself. I mean, it's one of those things where you know you get, you can't let up at all. Every single heat, every single race. You have to be on point pushing yourself harder than I had ever thought I'd have to how
0: How old would you when you kick this in for yourself
2: uh I think I started when I was eighteen,
0: okay okay, and I
2: just turned twenty two so okay. about four years
0: well, here's the question that I have too is do you see the sport being dropped down to younger uh younger kids? And uh, can, can, we get, can we get a woman in there somehow? I mean, I, I'm willing to take it up here.
2: Well, I mean, definitely the younger generations are getting a lot better. I mean, there's a, a couple local kids who are like 13 and 14 mm-hmm. who are just so incredibly good. I mean, it blows my mind. You know, there's younger and younger people every day getting in. Um, and actually, my, uh, my girlfriend flies too. We wow. fly together pretty much every time.
0: Uh, um, look at uh family that plays together, stays together. That's what yeah, I heard. Exactly. <laughs> all right. I know you got to run. I got to ask you one last question. What is on your wish list for the sport? What do you want all of us listening to this? What do you want us to know? What do you want us to get excited about?
2: I mean, I just want everyone to be able to like watch it and experience- Experience it, you know. It's just such an amazing thing to see. I mean, even even after flying in the races, watching it back on ESPN was just one of the most mind blowing things, you know. And Mm. this season airs actually in a couple weeks on uh, September sixth on ESPN, and anyone can go watch that. And it's just one of the most phenomenal experiences, you know. It's just so so cool and futuristic to mm-hmm. see, and then to realize that it's not the future. It's what's going on right
3: now.
0: Yeah, and I want to make sure, like you said, go to the website, everybody, and I want to be very clear. Put the word the in front of it. The TheDroneRacingLeague.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I know you've got to run. Thank you for uh, bringing the sport to the forefront.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a blast.
0: Oh, man. All right, everybody. Yep. Um, Telling you out there, this is something you want to get your kids to look at a little bit here. Uh, Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you tuning us in and turning us on. You know, the world we live in today, and, and for those of you out there, you have heard me interview multiple people who have written books about what it means to experience a life-altering uh, uh, biological effect of a stroke. Today, this is one of the most important conversations and shows you can listen to. How do you learn to identify the 10 signs of stroke? Today, we have three amazing people joining us here today. Uh, one of them, the stroke survivor, that's Melissa Berg. Then, the son. What happens when you are that child, that person, that adult, and you're witnessing something so profound? That's Tony. And then, let's talk to the doctor about what we've learned, what we've known, what is yet to know about. How to de- how to detect how to be aware of the signs of a stroke, and that's Dr. Jennifer Rasmussen Winkler, Melissa, Tony, Jennifer. Thank you for joining me here today.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having
0: us. You know, I I, I can only imagine what it is like for you, Melissa and Tony, uh, to be doing these interviews, and you know, for you, uh, 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 Jennifer, to 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 be part of this conversation. I want to ask each of you a a different question. One, I wanna ask you, uh, doctor, why is this conversation one of the most important conversations that we can have in the present time we live in?
5: Because we have treatments for stroke now, and we used to not. Time is brain. Every minute of an ischemic stroke, you lose 1.9 million neurons. That is a big number to lose and we're talking minutes matter. So understanding the signs and symptoms of stroke and getting to your closest stroke hospital, preferably by calling 911, is really important for saving um, your loved one's function or your function and ability to walk and talk and live your life in a normal, healthy manner.
0: Mm. Um, And The reason I'm asking this is because I hope at the end of this short interview today that people know what their checklist is. Uh, If you don't know what a stroke hospital is, find out. If you don't know the signs, please take notes during the show. Um, Melissa, thank you for joining me here today. I I can only imagine what this was like for you. And if you don't mind going back in time for a little bit, you know, what was the sense that you were having as you were experiencing this?
4: So to preface it, I had moved from California to Texas, literally Mm -hmm. driven 2,000 miles less than 70, 72 hours before. So I really wasn't thinking there was anything wrong other than I was just a little bit tired. But the major symptom, and it's not even really a symptom, it's just I felt off. I didn't feel right. I felt almost like an out-of-body experience and probably a little tightness in my neck, um, but I attributed to that to being, you know, tired and having just traveled and not sleeping well. And... Um, We were out driving around looking at property, and uh, thank God my son had sense enough to realize while I'm normally a chatty Cathy, I wasn't talking very much, and he kept pushing me.
0: Wow. And, you know, when we are in the middle of something like this, it is very hard to make sense of it. But yet, here we are, the four of us, talking about this. You're talking about it. You're sharing your message. And, Tony, from your perspective, right, you know, you have become the witness of this. So there's some insight that you can share today. Why don't you, if you don't mind, give us your perspective. And then, Tony, what have you learned since?
6: Definitely. Um, So as my mom said, I mean, we had a, a kind of a weird, you know, sequence of events where she moved so I thought when she was quiet looking out the window maybe she was you know just reminiscing and Mm -hmm. and, you know lived in California her whole life felt maybe something you know she just was was taking a little bit of a breather and kind of you know upset and so after about five to ten minutes of that that's when I kind of dawned on like hey mom I was like you're you never quiet like what why you know are you okay and once she you know once that kind of I realized she looked at me and I was like okay you know still not talking um, and that was when I turned around and noticed, uh, you know, the, the signs. And you can remember it with the, the acronym FAST, which is something I have learned since, which is face, arm, speech, and time. Um, but when I turned around and actually assessed her whole body, her right arm was kind of just dragging, and, and her, her right side of her face was droopy. And um, I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't even think, you know, hey, my mom's healthy. She's, you know, in great shape. Like, she's having a stroke. I just knew something was wrong. Um, and with that, you know, we were very lucky. We were down the street from a hospital, so I was able to drive there. But if we were at home, I would have called 911 right away. Um, and I didn't realize how severe her stroke actually was until she didn't get out of the car. And I went around the other side, and she was just complete dead weight because her entire right side of her body was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the emergency room was great, got, got her in right away. And, and, you know, like we all keep saying, time is of the essence. So that was a big, a big piece why she has mm-hmm. nothing wrong with her to this day.
0: Wow, um, you know, let's talk about some of the signs, and thank you so much for sharing that. Let's talk about what some of the signs are, because many people may not know. Um, and this is from a couple different perspectives. I think, uh, you, you know, uh, for sure, Dr. rasmussen uh, Winkler. One of the, the perspectives is I'm the person actually experienced the stroke. I'm the person watching you experience it, and I'm the doctor. That's going to treat you as you come in. I would like to hear what the signs are that each of you experience. And we want to share with our listeners. Melissa, how about you first?
4: The signs that I experienced while well, looking back on it now, yeah. you know, uh, Again, you know, I'm sitting in the back seat of a car, so I'm not really visually mm-hmm. able to see what's going on with me. But as Tony said, you know, my arm drooped. My, um, I, I couldn't move my, left, my right leg, um, my face. Um, it, it, once you put it all together and you realize that that's what was going on, it's, it's a little bit scary. Yeah. Um, and to not know, not have been aware You know, especially at my age, um, it's probably something that everyone should become aware of, at least by their mid-20s, you know, all the symptoms for stroke.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Tony, your experience, if you can identify uh, three things that folks listening to this show, uh, you know, as you were watching this, and I'm curious, did you have a sense immediately? um, It sounds like you weren't exactly sure immediately, but you knew enough to do something, I would love for you to share with our listeners and tell them what to be on a lookout for here.
6: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think anything weird. I guess that, that's, uh-huh. that's not normal behavior for somebody, um, you know. And, and like my mom said, and, and you know, she just got quiet, which you know isn't normal for her. <laughs> um, and you know, she her right arm was was kind of droopy. Her right side of her face is a little droopy. Um, just those things and she was off. I mean, so, I mean, you'd rather be safe than sorry, I guess. And that's why, you know, I could have sat and waited and, you know, Hey mom, come on. You know, instead it was like, Hey, let's get up to a hospital. I don't know, you know, what exactly is wrong. I'm not a doctor, but let's figure this out. Cause some, you're definitely off. So, um, just, you know, be, be smart about, it. I guess they're on the side of the caution and, and, you know, I'd rather look stupid than, than, you know, and at the do- at the hospital, telling something isn't wrong than, you know, waiting it out and being like, oh, you know, I could have saved my mom's, you know, total function or her brain or whatever else, but we waited it out. So um, just react fast and, and, you know, go with your gut feeling.
0: Wow. Um, From a doctor's perspective, and I know our time here today is short, and so I want to make sure that the folks listening to this, one, how do they find out more about this? How do they get more information? And then... Given where we are today and the fact that we can treat strokes, can you please share with us from your perspective what folks should be on the lookout for?
5: So you can get more information about the 10 signs and symptoms of stroke from signsofstroke.org. It's a great website that gives all of the details of what you need to know. Um, What people should be on the lookout for is really a sudden change. So someone can see and all of a sudden they're missing part of their vision and it's a sudden onset change. Or they walk normally and suddenly they start leaning to one side and can't walk in a straight line anymore. Um, Another symptom would be they talk to you. They're chatty, and then suddenly, what's coming out of their mouth doesn't make sense. It's weird fragments of words or inappropriate words. Those are all signs and symptoms of stroke, and it's that sudden change that should alert you to get to the hospital and get evaluated for potential treatment.
0: Mm. I want to talk about what uh, what some of the things Tony did did right, because I think that people will get a lot of information by understanding. What should I do? You know, can you imagine being in this situation and not knowing what to do? And I think based on what we're talking about here today, there are clearly some things to do and do quickly. Can we talk about what those are? If you're watching someone go through this.
5: So what he did right is he recognized that she wasn't normal. She wasn't acting the way that she normally does. And then with that recognition thought, I have to get her to a hospital right away. Most people, it works out better to dial 911, but because he was so close, he was able to call the hospital, prepare them for her coming in, and get her there quickly. Again, every minute matters in ischemic stroke, and so his timeliness of recognizing that she wasn't herself really saved her life.
0: Mm. Melissa, I want to ask you this. I mean, and again, I know our time is short here. There's so much you're sharing with people, and I want to know What would be your message to the folks listening here today? What would be your recommendations? What have you learned?
4: To listen to your body, Mm. to pay, pay attention, take the time, you know, especially as a female, as a mom, you're always so concerned about others and you have a tendency of downplaying, you know, what might be going on with you. And don't do that. And when your doctor suggests that you go on, you know, medication to lower your cholesterol, as mine did, do it. Don't disregard that, uh, you know, I could have prevented my stroke had I been on the medication. So um, just pay attention to your body and and don't just think, oh, it's nothing, and go lay down and take a nap, which, thank God, we were out looking at property because that is probably what I would have done had we been at my son's home.
0: Wow. Tony, how about you?
4: Yeah, I mean, um, probably just to, to, you
6: know, say the same thing again, I guess, is, is if you Notice something off, just react quickly and, and you know, make sure that, that, you know, you get get help, I guess, as, as quick as possible, get into the hospital, um, regardless of kind of what you think. I mean, I, I, I wanted to believe that my mom was fine and, and kind of gave myself a little bit of an extra couple of minutes to sit there and go, okay, you know, she's not okay. We got we to act.
0: Wow. Uh, one last question, doctor, for you. What is the message you want to leave everybody with today? And, 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 AND ALSO THE MESSAGE OF HOPE AS WELL. AND THANK YOU ALL FOR JOINING ME HERE.
5: I think there's a huge amount of hope when it comes to stroke because if you get in quickly, we can treat you and we can get you back to your normal state of life or close to it. So the message is time is brain. If you're worried somebody's having a stroke, know the signs and symptoms of stroke so you can recognize them. Get them in immediately. Don't wait for it to pass. Don't let them take a nap. Don't, you know, give them water and see if they feel better. Every minute matters.
0: Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Tony, last words from you?
5: Um, No, I mean, thank
6: you very much for the time. And and just, you know, the big thing is is signsofstroke.org. If if you want to go check out all the symptoms, I I think that's a great spot to to go educate yourself.
0: Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all very much. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.
3: Welcome, everybody. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. And one of the things that I want to say to everybody is that you've heard us talk about chronic pain now for over 10 years. Why? Because you've heard me here share my story, and you've heard us talk with Lou Paradise, who has been an advocate. But what have been the advancements? Well, you also heard me talk about I wasn't very optimistic until now. Today, joining me here today is Dr. Corey Hunter and Doug Rod. And why? Why are we here? You're going to hear about Doug's story, and you're going to hear about the innovation that we're bringing to you, innovation that most people thought would never happen at all. But chronic pain in September, Pain Awareness Month, it's not the awareness about the pain that we're going to focus on today. It's the awareness about the possibilities to relieve the pain. Dr. Hunter, Doug, welcome to the show. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the epidemic uh, that everybody hears about, uh, which is an opioid epidemic. The thing that also we should mention and and just briefly mention is that anti-anxiety has also now exceeded Uh, the amount of uh, opioid prescriptions, and is directly related to chronic pain. So one of the things I want to ask each of you is, what have you learned about chronic pain? And what are you finding now is so difficult in treating it? And let's start out with you first, uh, Dr. Hunter.
7: So broadly speaking, chronic pain is uh, any kind of pain that lasts longer than six to eight months. What makes it so difficult to treat is that once the pain stuck around for that long, it may not be coming from the same spot anymore as where it started. So what may have started out as something as simple as a sprained ankle or a broken arm, after six to eight months, the pain may not be coming from the the ankle or the arm anymore. It may have moved. And because we don't really have any way to, to pinpoint where the pain is coming from, we don't really know where to focus the treatment, and that's why it becomes so hard to treat over time.
3: And, you know, we're talking about something, and I want everybody to be familiar with complex regional pain syndrome, right? Really yeah. want, to be, want to be familiar with this. Um, I, you know, I never thought in my day and age that I would hear so many people suffering uh, with pain. How about you, doctor? I mean, let's talk about this for a minute. It's not just like it's a sidebar conversation or a water cooler conversation. We see people not able to walk down the hall at work. We see people rubbing their hands. I mean, this is not just like a drive-by conversation about pain, is it?
7: So, yeah, it's chronic pain can take many forms. It can be chronic headaches. It can be chronic, uh, you know, chronic knee pain. Uh, Complex regional pain syndrome, which we abbreviate CRPS, is really like the ultimate one that we see in pain management. Um, It's something that not a lot of people are familiar with or have heard of until they themselves actually, you know, are unfortunate enough to have it or they know someone that's, uh, that's afflicted with it. Um, patients who have it uh, call it the suicide disease because this is something that they would they would rather not go on living another day than have to deal with the pain at this level. Um, we don't know a lot about it insofar as like why some people get it and some people don't, but it starts off with something just as simple as an injury or a, a routine surgery, and then the body's healed, but the pain just kind of continues over time and gets progressively worse uh, to the point where now it spreads, and then wherever that injury or surgery was, you can't even use that limb anymore.
3: Oh, I know. And let's get right to that with somebody, right, that knows a lot about this. Doug Rod is joining me here today. Medi- uh, and what I want to say is medically retired U.S. Army paratrooper damaged both his knees after years of active duty. duty, And as a result of these sur- surgeries, well, let me let him talk about it. Doug, it's great to have you here. Thank you for coming out and for talking about me. this. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Did you well, ever think this would be you?
8: Um. When you're young, you think you're pretty indestructible. Yeah. Uh, with every passing year, I find that I am not. Um, but um, in terms of where I've been and where I am now, it, mm-hmm. it is night and day difference. Um, I, can't, I can't begin to describe how it is uh, to, to go through this process and then to uh, kind of end up on the other side.
3: Yeah. Uh, and let's talk about the process. If we could, Dr. Hunter, we're here to talk about a solution. So let's talk about, you know, the neurostimulation therapy. Let's talk about that solution. And I want I want to make sure folks hear that term over and over and over again. Um, first, for you, Dr. Hunter, what is it? And then for you, Doug, we're going to get back to you because I want to hear what the journey was like the minute that you were treated with this. Go ahead, Dr. Hunter.
7: So um, the Abbott's DRG stimulator, uh, in really in a nutshell, is uh, people, The easiest way to describe it is people are very familiar with a cardiac pacemaker, where we're using electrical signals to help the heart beat correctly. In a similar way, we're using these electrical signals in the nervous system to alter pain signals instead. So, and it's electrical signals that patients can't feel. And this particular therapy is the first of its kind because for the first time we have, you know, proven an effective therapy to treat uh, complex regional pain syndrome and focal chronic pain. And for the first time, I'm able to look my patients in the eye and tell them there's a really good chance I'm going to be able to give you your life back. And you may not need medication to do that. So it's really for us, you know, as physicians, it's remarkable to be able to have that level of comfort and confidence knowing that we can actually deliver on the promises that we're making.
3: Oh, I got to ask Doug this question. Doug, here, here yes. you go. When, when you heard this, right, like, oh, we're going to be able to help you. Did you actually believe that at first?
8: You know, it's, that's a that's a great question. Um, you are so desperate when you live with chronic pain, you are yep. so desperate. And yet having had so many surgeries, and I, I think they exceed 20, um, you're somewhat skeptical, but the idea that there's even a glimmer of hope that, uh, maybe you can get your life back as Dr. Hunter, uh, had stated, uh, you're, you're willing to try anything. And, um, the the nice thing about this process is you're allowed to give it a try. You have a trial, and if the trial works for you, then you can move forward and get the implant.
3: Wow, wow. Let's talk about this because you know before I came on air, air here, uh, Dr. Hunter, I did a little work, but I want to make sure people know the website. Uh, For those of you tuning in, go to the website aboutyourpain.com, and when you get to that website, what you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to, well, wait a minute. Is there anybody close to me that I can get some relief from? We're going to talk about that as well. And by the way, I've already done this, and I've already looked it up, uh, and by the way, Swedish does this here where we are, but let's talk about this. How does the process work, Dr. Hunter?
7: So if you go to the, the website aboutyourpain.com, you can uh, learn more about the DRG therapy, learn about the conditions that are being treated with it, um, and find a physician in your community who's trained to use this. There's a physician finder. You can plug in your zip code, and it'll show you a list of physicians in your area. Um, if you're interested in learning more about or seeing if you're a candidate for it, make an appointment with a board-certified pain management physician that's trained in DRG therapy and discuss your condition and see if it's the right treatment for you.
3: Right. Right. Uh, uh, oh, can we talk a little bit, Doug? Uh, uh, if if I uh, jump back to you, uh, you were treated with very specific injuries, right? And yes. uh, uh, When was the first time you got relief? I, I want to know, like, what happened when all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, I don't feel the pain here."
8: <laughs> it's 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 almost unbelievable. Um, it is, um, and the idea when you go through the trial that that there is something that could possibly rid you of this everyday throbbing and swelling and needing a cane on occasion. Um, it, it's it's almost like a fantasy, it's, it's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. And I've, I had the surgery the day after Thanksgiving, the Abbott DRG stimulator was implanted then, and mm-hmm. I am so happy to tell you that after 10 years of Opioid therapy, spinal column stimulator use. Um, I have not had pain medication since the second week of February.
3: Wow. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing because I, too, was looking at a wheelchair in 2008. Oh, my gosh. You know, you're you're talking to somebody that's uh, really up close and personal. I get it. I get it. And that's why I was so excited to do this interview because when you're at the end, other end of a doctor's conversation, not you, not not you, Doctor Hunter, not you, but when you're on the other end of a doctor conversation, and the best, the best that they can offer you is a prescription, it is really difficult to have hope, isn't it, Doug? That is really hard to do.
8: It's disheartening. I I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have wept. Mm.
3: Yeah, uh, I want to get back to you, Doctor Hunter. I want to I want to know what your vision is to get this in doctor's offices, naturopathic offices, chiropractic offices, I could go on and on and on, but how do we get this in the places where then those people can relieve other people of pain? How, how the heck do we do this?
7: Well, I mean, it starts with, you know, what we're doing right now um, is, is just getting awareness out about this therapy. Um, we've, you know, as I said, I really can't understate the fact that we haven't seen anything like this before in pain management, something that's so reliable, something so consistent, something that's um, so unbelievable for these patients. Um, doctors are more and more finding out from other physicians, and I think they're even finding out more from patients because patients are sharing their story like Doug's story, and patients are they're really, I think just the best you know the best candidates to tell people about how effective this is. So it really just starts with getting awareness out there for it. And I think as more doctors are comfortable and seeing that this is this is real, um if they themselves aren't doing it, they should be you know finding other doctors in their area to refer them to. So this is something that, you know, that we, we need to get off our reliance for opioids because there really is no exit strategy for once you start it. It's going to go on forever. It's putting a band-aid on a bullet wound. Um, yeah. This is really kind of where we're addressing the injury. We're addressing what's going on. And, you know, we can get patients. This is going to be our first step is this, 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 digging us out of this opioid epidemic is having this very treatment right here.
3: Yeah. And so let's just, I want to just get, I'm a, a researcher at heart. I got to give people a number. Listen, a long-term clinical study showed that DRG stimulation provides pain relief to more than 8 out of 10 people. That is an yep. 80% ratio, knock off the margin for statistical error. Have you ever seen anything like that?
7: In, in pain management, no. So in the, the, the clinical trial, it showed that it was about 94.6% effective, which is um, you know, that's at the range of penicillin. So we, we don't have anything that this is, that's this effective and especially this reliable.
3: All right. I got one last question. I know you got to run. Each of you, I want to know what your personal message is. I'd love to know what you want to leave people with. And uh, let's give them some information. Dr. Herner, why don't you go first and then Doug, you can go.
7: So again, uh, just really go to the website aboutyourpain.com, read more about this, uh, this, this amazing life-changing uh, therapy, find a doctor that's there. But if you're on opioids, or if you're considering taking opioids, look into this therapy first before you do that. It's uh, it really could it could save your life.
3: Thank you, Doug. How about you?
8: I cannot um, overemphasize the change of 10 years of having to deal with chronic pain, and then like a light switch, getting my life back. Um, and I, I, I've said before uh, to the others here that. I'm renovating a house. My wife and I walked three miles last night, and I'm riding a motorcycle again.
3: Oh, so my I, gosh. I love yeah, I'm that. Yeah, I've kind of got my
8: life back. It's wonderful.
3: Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I told a little tip. What kind of motorcycle did you get?
8: Well, I have two. I have an old 1970 Triumph 650 and yes. a 76 BMW.
3: I come from a motorcycle family. My first bike was a Triumph. My second bike was a BSA. And guess nice. what? We us motorcycle people, we don't like the pain, do we?
8: No, no, not at all.
3: (laughs) All right, thank you both. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody out there. Aboutyourpain.com. Much more you're going to hear about this. All right, everybody, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.
0: Hey, everybody. I think by this point in time, you are pretty tired of me talking about table tennis and my table tennis injury. And you're probably thinking to yourself, seriously, Pat? Ping pong? Well, guess what? I'm somebody that has participated in sports most of my life. But I didn't know what we were about to talk about today. Get your head in the game when it comes back to school sports safety. Dr. Brian Babka is joining me here today. Sports Medicine, Northwestern Medicine Central, DuPage uh, Hospital. And here's the deal. If you haven't been plugged in to what seems to be happening in the world of sports, especially for our kids, you're going to want to listen to this. Dr. Babka, great to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yep, that's me. Okay. And I, I can see your big smile on your face. You're probably thinking like everybody else. Seriously, you got hurt playing ping pong. Um, but it, that's not really the topic for today. I, I believe where we are is we don't know what we don't know about sports injuries and the fact that they're on the rise. The other thing that uh, you know that I am, I'm aware of is if you ask a kid, hey, did you get hurt today? Nine times out of 10, they are not going to tell you. But Today it's about how to prevent sports injuries. So, why is this so important to you, and what's your role in this?
1: It's important to me because I, one, I was an athlete. I was very lucky to play Division One sport. Uh, I'm a parent, where mm-hmm. I think I think all of us, as when we become parents, our filter completely changes. Yeah. Um, and then this is what I do. I, I, I grew up playing sports uh, kind of as a biology nerd. And when I went to college and realized there was a profession for me to mold the two together, uh, I pursued sports medicine. And now for the last 15-plus years of mm-hmm. my adult life, I've been you know, working with athletes as a sports medicine physician and team physician, uh, currently with Northern Illinois University. Mm-hmm. And so we take this seriously. Um, you know, I see it every day where we're seeing younger athletes come in hurt with overuse injuries. I'm concerned as a parent myself on how that's going to affect my own children and, you know, the culture, you know, the sporting culture with you know within which we live in. Um, and so I think it's important that we have the conversation and we educate ourselves on what is actually happening. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and let's start right there. Because uh, I don't know if it's because we're more connected, Dr. Vavka, and we have more information about what's going on, uh, or if it really is a situation where injuries are on the rise. And I'd like to hear your perspective. I mean, is it one, the other, or maybe both?
1: I'd like to say it was we're more connected. I mean, obviously, we hear news and data far quicker than we ever used to. Uh, but injury rates are actually on the rise. Uh, the main reason is our kids are playing high-level year-round sports particularly single sport, Mm. which is increasing the risk of overuse, uh, fatigue, and burnout. So where before kids would play a lot in their backyards, play a a local non-travel league, play a lot of sports with their school, be multi-sport athletes, that culture has completely shifted. So we have a lot of youth athletes, uh, even in our elementary schools, that are now playing one sport year round. And when they try to play a second sport, they're usually doing it on top of their first sport. So we're now getting two practices in day, multiple games in a week, and our little kid, you know, our youth athletes, we're learning they can break down just like we can, and we're starting to get those overuse injuries, uh, we're starting to get fatigue injuries in bone and soft tissue like muscle and tendon, um, and it's leading to increased injury rates and burnout.
0: Yeah, I want to ask you this question too, I mean, because of the nature of competition now, especially for youngsters, right, I mean, I can't even believe I just said that, by the way. I, I can't even believe I just said, okay, increase competition for youngsters. I'm not talking about 17-year-olds. We're really talking about an age very early on. I mean, I'm looking at a 10-year-old and I'm watching the level of competition at 10 years old. And I don't know, maybe I live under a rock, but I'm pretty sure at 10, I was playing stickball. Have we increased sort of the age Uh, by which we get our our kids involved in sports. Is that part of the dialogue?
1: We have. I think... The thing to consider though is sports are good and getting our kids engaged in sports and activity and healthy active lifestyles is always important at every age. Mm -hmm. Where it's shifted is even our eight, nine, 10 year olds now are playing one sport, travel sport year round and they're not changing it up. So there's no time for recovery. There's no time for modified activity to to pursue other interests. And so we know in certain sports when you play year round, certain body parts are going to get overused Mm -hmm. and so there isn't going to be a transition to a different sport in a different season where there's going to be some recovery while still exercising And, and these little bodies you know we like to think of they're all energizer bunnies and they're all super resilient and for the most part they are but again they can break down and get overuse injuries and you know if we teach our kids that every time they continue to get hurt um Sports is going to be no fun and that lifelong culture of us wanting to, you know, pursue exercise and making sure that we're all active and, you know, we're big in the sports medicine community is exercise is medicine. You know, they, they start to gravitate away from it because it always becomes an unfun activity or they're always hurt and they're burning out.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know, I agree with you completely. I think one of the things that we do need to focus on is having our our kids move. We need to move. Um, And I want to ask you this. Uh, If you'd have said the word uh, concussion five years ago to a parent, they would pretty much have said, oh, that doesn't apply to me. So the word concussion is out there for a lot of reasons. One, there was an entire film Uh, done on it, but it's starting to get attention and it certainly has gotten the attention of mothers everywhere. Uh, How big of an issue is that when we're talking about sports and kids and safety?
1: Conduction a big deal. Uh, You know, public awareness is high. I think sometimes people are aware of it, but don't really like to recognize what it is or how it can affect them or what the number is. We know about 9% of high school athletes that report to an athletic trainer or athletic training staff for an injury evaluation. It is a head injury. So about one in approximately one in 10 injuries is a head injury. So that's more common. I think sometimes people recognize Uh, at the same time, it's an injury that can be treated. Um, I think sometimes we do have to be careful of getting too far ahead of ourselves and that every one time concussion is going to turn into what we see on TV every year or every day, because that's a very big leap and we can't necessarily get from one end of the spectrum to the other in a linear fashion. There's a lot of things we do not know. So I don't want moms and parents and athletes to necessarily be afraid of sport. Sports are good. They're not evil. They're not the enemy. Yes, there's an inherent risk, but, a one-time acute concussion or you know an acute injury properly treated uh, with the return to play protocol and monitoring and treatment and return to learn and done the right way will not always end up being what we see on the news. Yeah. And so we have to understand that there's an inherent risk in everything in our teenage drivers learning to drive are in Aussie at more at risk than playing football. Uh, there's a risk in PE class. Uh, I have two children, both of my kids have had concussions and neither one of them were related to sport. Um, so, there's two sides of the conversation yeah. where we definitely need to continue to educate and increase awareness so people can recognize it and proper treatment can be initiated immediately. But I don't want to go so far as, you know, sports are bad, don't right. ever play sports because right. of the risk benefit ratio still lies in, you know, there's a greater benefit than risk.
0: Yeah, yeah. And honestly, the reason we're talking about it today is because you all have a plan and you have an approach. And I think that's going to be, you know, for for those of us here that are doing these interviews is let's talk about the solution. Let's talk about the approach because um, this is where people can be educated, informed, and literally do something about this. And you've come up with a way to do it.
1: Yeah, the sports medicine community obviously has put a lot of effort into this over the last, you know, two decades uh, to constant evolution. And every time we get more data and more education, uh, we try to adapt what we're doing. Granted, we do not know everything. There's just as much, you know, science that we don't know than we do. But people need to be aware that it's a constant evolution. And there's some things out there that we do differently now or that are available in communities to you know, be more proactive with treatment. So, particularly the old perception of brain rest used to be, you know, an injured athlete with concussive symptoms. We would decrease, you know, eliminate all stimulation. So, put an athlete in a dark room under the covers, no social, you know, interaction, no school, no screens, and we realized that didn't work. You know, we have these teenage athletes that are fit and they're social and they don't do very well when you, when, when you, when you isolate them from their friends. Yeah. And so these athletes that sit around for too long, fatigue actually breeds more fatigue. Mm-hmm. So the sports medicine community, um, you know, our neurologists you know, that deal with uh, concussions, you know, our physical therapists, our athletic training staff, uh, our researchers, we've started to kind of swing the pendulum and change our mindset a little bit. And now we try to get an athlete back on their daily routine as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. Uh, so they maintain their sense of day and night we don't increase you know the potential of sleep disturbance Uh, we now have return to learn protocols that are required in most schools where we can actually work with school nurses teachers school administrators to have athletes return to school with accommodations Uh, and they actually do well because now they're not at home again, isolated or anxious about you know, re-entry and how much work they have to make up and all the tests, uh, we can kind of continue to progress them along the spectrum. We have formalized return to play protocols where when an athlete's ready to return to play, we don't go zero to 100 miles an hour. We take a couple days to slowly increase activity, heart rates and you know, strenuous activity and make sure we're still progressing. An athlete that's not getting better on the typical timeline of 7 to 10 days, we actually now have uh, therapy and rehab protocols that we you know, we kind of like to talk about it, active rehab Mm -hmm. where if we have somebody around too long, not doing anything again, symptoms can worsen. And we know starting at the five to 10 day mark, we can start some light activity while still protecting that athlete or that patient while increasing a better outcome by even starting light walks, stationary bike, physical therapy, you know, what we call vestibular therapy. Um, And we know that athlete is now back on a routine, Uh, cardiovascular fitness is somewhat maintained they're allowed to be engaged with their teammates and their friends and we know outcomes tend to be much better. So we're starting to swing, you know, and at that same time we can still protect them by, you know, it doesn't mean we're Maverick and immediately put them back on a field and, you know, while they're symptomatic and, you know, continue to increase the risk of injury, but in that controlled environment with that controlled rehab approach, we can actually still get an athlete doing some things while protecting them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I got to tell you this, I work on the psychology of sports, you know, my, my area of expertise, or uh, was is in the field of psychology but behavioral and cognitive and one of the things that we looked at with this was the psychology of this and I love what you're doing because you said something that's so important what we tell uh coaches and we say look if you've got somebody on the bench give them something to do give them something to do You know, I mean, how many teams do you know, Dr. Bacca, where, you know, everything from bringing out the charts to keeping track of team members, I mean, there's so many different functions, and yet you're right. We tend to ap- uh, isolate injured athletes, if not if, if that isn't enough already. So I love what you're talking about and your approach to things. Um, what do you think the challenges yeah. might be for the coaches and the parents around this? Because it's really counterintuitive for them. They're like, "Oh no, don't no no." Like, I don't want I don't want any active rehabilitation. What have you found?
1: Oh, actually, I think it's the exact opposite. Okay, I actually good. think it's uh, been a huge benefit. I think coaches see it because in in our youth athletes, we have to remember they don't always recover as quickly as our professional adult men. And we're all very conditioned to seeing, you know, our football professional football players on a Sunday, get hit, go into protocol and then play again the next Sunday or, you know, two Sundays later. And our kids don't always you know react that way. And it's, they sometimes have a prolonged recovery and we see these kids that don't do anything for two, three weeks and that fatigue breeds more fatigue and they're sitting on our couches like sloths, mm-hmm. you know, to actually have parents see when we initiate active rehab and their child's personalities coming back, they're sleeping better, they're engaged with their friends. And you know, sometimes you can break that headache, you know, and those symptoms for you know, a couple hours to a couple days, I mean, you you see the brightness in your child's eyes again, and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're back to normal. And when coaches see it, you know, they're, you know, no longer in that mindset of, oh, this guy's just going to be out for four weeks. It's the, they can kind of see how, all right, this return to play may be going okay. You know, from their standpoint, it's if I do have an athlete out two to three weeks, as long as they're maintaining some cardiovascular conditioning on a stationary bike or doing some light walking, uh, we don't have that risk of future injury. Or sometimes we used to forget that we would take an athlete out of play for three, four weeks at a time, and they would not let them do anything. And then when they were ready to go back, we realized... We were setting them up for another injury, particularly a lower extremity injury, whether it be an ankle sprain, an Achilles tendon, an ACL, because we deconditioned everything in the process. The other thing I wanted to mention is the thing that you talked about is one of the other bigger approaches and awareness is that multi-specialty approach. So, you know, you on the psychology side, uh, we all have to come at this together. And, you know, concussion particularly is not a one specialty you know, conditioned. Uh, it's a multi-specialty approach. Yeah. I know here at Northwestern, we use our neuropsychologists as much as anybody. Um, You know, it's not one-stop shop. It's you know, you need your athletic trainers, you need your sports medicine physicians, you need your physical and vestibular therapists, you need your speech therapists, you need your neuropsychologists, you need your neurologists, uh, you need your you know pediatric and adult physiatrists. Like we all have to take some ownership of treating these together. um, You know, with a multi-specialty approach.
0: Oh yeah, I I not only do I agree, and I know you've got to run, but one of the things too that you mentioned is the diet changes. There's a fundamental difference between I'm an active athlete and I'm out there and now I'm not. Thank you so much for today. Can you give us a website for people to find out more, please?
1: Sure. We have a lot of information on our website uh, about our sports medicine programs, our sports concussion programs, and uh, uh, injury information at www.nm.org backslash sportsmedicine.
0: Thank you so much for this message. I think it's one of the more pivotal messages, especially as we come into fall, because I don't think any of us like to see anyone get injured. And thank you for being so passionate about this.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, yeah, boy. Please, everybody, go check this out, because this is something you want to know, you're going to want to share. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.